0: Key stats we want to see against Duquesne, a look ahead to LSU, and a curious comment by Mike Alford today on Locked On Seminoles.
1: You are Locked On Seminoles, your daily podcast on the Florida State Seminoles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: What's up, everybody? This is David Weiss. Thank you for joining us on Locked On Seminoles. We're here in game week still. I have with me, Mr.
1: Drake. Drake, how you doing? Mr. Drake, I don't think I've heard anyone call me that, Dave. That's really nice of you to say that because, you know, only my closest friends actually can call, call me by my real name. And by closest friends, yeah. I mean, camera cats. <laughs> only, only the one. Um, it's game week.
0: We're excited here. We have football to talk about, real football, not just like speculating. and a good place to start with real football is probably the game we have this weekend. Well, I'm not, I'll tease a little bit. We're going to get to a little more than just the Duquesne game. There's only so much we can talk about about uh, a game where it would be outrageous if we just didn't win by five-plus scores. So, But there are, there are things that we want to see against Duquesne. So our idea is we want to give you... A key stat we want to see accomplished on both the offensive and the defensive sides of the ball for Florida State against Duquesne. Drake, lead us off. What are your key stats? You want to start with offense?
1: Let's do it with offense because mainly offense. we're going to talking about the big boys up front. My fellow members of the tribunal of thickness, I actually want to see with this offensive line zero, not one, not two, pero settle zero pre snap penalties along the offensive line primarily because we hear so much about how Alex Atkins has been able to, I guess, cultivate, mold, and improve this entire group since he's been here. And then now with the, I guess, not the departure, but the injuries to Kane Lyles, Maurice Smith is also out until basically, I think he'd probably be back me around the Louisville game, if we're being optimistic. But yeah. I want to see if Darius Washington is able to properly communicate to the rest of his line that, hey, the snap is coming now, so I don't get any false starts or any of that nonsense. So basically to me, I think the pre-snap penalty to be at a minimum for me to feel confident about, about this current uh, incarnation of the offensive line, this current makeup of the offensive line heading into LSU, because the LSU defensive front is elite. I mean, there's no other ifs ands or buts about it.
0: I think, I think we're probably all a little scarred into feeling that way about the offensive line, just like images of players doing this conjures up uh, just a little bit of puke in your throat. Uh, so, yeah, I'd, I'd hope to see that as well. Mine's a little different. As you know, I, like most of you, have been very excited about this incoming receiving core and it uh, not taking the place of, but really adding to what we can do on the offensive side of the ball. These guys are listed all over the depth chart, either as starters or ors as starters. Deuce span listed as an or. Johnny Wilson, listed as an or. Micah Pittman, a sole starter. Um, I want to see the three of those new receivers Combine for at least 12 catches and 150 yards. So you break that down on average, that would be about four catches each for about 50 yards each. And that is being very conservative in my mind. Again, this is a team we should bully. And, so you want a
1: diversified portfolio is what you're telling me right. right
0: now. Look, if one of them wants to go out and have 12 catches for a buck 50 i I'm not going to complain. I mean, that's I mean, do, I mean, do span 100 yards, one catch being for 80-plus? Sure, man. I don't care who it is. I just want to see it. Honestly, though, I, I would like to see Micah Pittman have a, a several receptions, even if, you know, we're not throwing bombs to him. I want to see him fill that slot receiver role over the middle, but – to see these new guys get involved and develop a rapport with Jordan Travis while he's in the game, because I, I like you, don't expect him to play a ton. That's going to be critical moving forward. There's only so much time in fall practice and in this game for them to really get on the same page. And it would be great if we headed into LSU with them all feeling like they know where each other's going to be on the field.
1: Do you think though how vanilla the offense is going to be? Like, I mean, I kind of said yesterday that I kind of want to see these why receivers put up video game numbers, which with a vanilla game plan will be difficult, but do you think that could, like, not hamper, but, like, prevent that stat line that you're kind of wanting to see this weekend be a little more difficult than it needs to be?
0: Yeah, no, the answer has to be no. Um. Reason being they shouldn't have defensive backs on that team that are able to just stay with Micah Pittman, every play that shouldn't happen or they Johnny sh- Wilson. Or j- Well, I was going to get to that next, which is you shouldn't have a DB who's able to go man up with Johnny Wilson, throw him a jump ball. Like he's going to catch some of them. Like <laughs> He's going to out, he's going to tower over whoever's on the other side of him. You should be able to just do the, for those of you that remember just the jump ball to Greg Carr, same concept. Try it to Johnny Wilson. See how it goes, especially if we're in the red zone. And do span. They they shouldn't have a player on defense who's as fast as do span. So um, the fact that we're going to keep the offense vanilla, yeah, I mean, that will limit their ability to really show out. But just doing the basics, which we talked about yesterday, I still think those should be attainable numbers for those three receivers. And, you know, seeing that and more, I mean, how good would that make you feel going into LSU, knowing that we expect the defense to hold up, but is the offense gonna be able to that that would I mean that'd certainly make you feel better, right?
1: I mean it would make me feel great. Like we're not well, it would make me feel more assured, I could think is a better way to put it because these are wide receivers that are coming in with little to no production, probably at their previous stops right. with or Michael Payment, Oregon uh, previously, and also with Johnny Wilson or Arizona State and then Dewspan. Honestly, this might be the way where we asked, you know, I think I asked you and Max, I think a few weeks ago, where like who you think scores the first touchdown? I kind of want to see both of them actually score a touchdown. So for me personally, I would love to see each of the new guys catch have a receiving TD or maybe Micah Pittman. Those little baby Devo gets a handoff in the backfield on a motion jet sweep. And that'd be dope too.
0: Yeah. And, and I'm glad you pointed one thing out. Um, Everything we're talking about with this receiving core is all speculation at this point. Um, Because like you said, at their previous stops, Deuce span didn't really play receiver all that much. Johnny Wilson didn't have a huge career at Arizona state. And Micah Pittman, a lot of Oregon fans claim to not really care that he left. So all three of them have a lot to prove, and there's a lot of unknowns about each, notwithstanding the fact that during fall camp, we've heard nothing but good things about all three. I
1: uh, 100% agree. And now do you want to to the uh, defense out of the ball? Yeah, let's do the defense.
0: Um, I'll start off with this one since you got to go first before. Drake, I got a, the number's 10 for me, and this is a simple one. I can't have them scoring more than 10 points. Um, this defense if it's going to be a top 10 defense you you can't be letting duquesne score more than 10 on you um even if we're putting in backups later in the game which we expect to this is this is a complete mismatch Uh, just every player on defense is better than the other guy on the other side of the ball um faster stronger it's just it's just the reality of this game and you're gonna have those weird you're gonna have one weird play where like I don't know, someone falls down in the secondary and they or bust the them. safety. You said oh, yesterday, right. Or something ridiculous like that's going to happen. It happens to Bama and Georgia, even um, not often, but it happens. And if one of those happens and we allow another field goal, sure. I don't really care, uh, but I want to see complete domination on the defensive side of the ball and without even being complicated with the defense so that LSU, you know, we're putting some fear into them,
1: um, especially in a matchup that's getting more winnable by the day. Yeah, I want to see some of these walk-on DBs actually get some practice routes for the scout team for LSU for the next week, which actually goes back to kind of parlays in the mind with the defensive backfield. Uh, right now, FSU has the longest streak in the nation with games with a turnover. I think actually with interceptions specifically, I want to see that streak continue against Duquesne. Uh, London Parentis' brother is a starting QB for Duquesne. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't remember, London Parentis, very, very obnoxious point guard actually over at UVA for mm-hmm. a very long time. So. Me personally, I would love to see two turnovers. I would love to see one interception by one of our starting cornerbacks. Preferably, I'd like to be Marion Cooper for selfish reasons, or maybe as R.A. A Zari Thomas to basically announce himself announce himself to the world and then give me one fumble for um one of the big guys up front, whether it be Fabian Lovett or Robert Cooper.
0: Yeah, if that's going to be my goal, I want to see I want to see a six pack of turnovers. And that's the funny thing is I say that kind of tongue, tongue in cheek, but in this game, you absolutely could see a game like that where we force numerous turnovers and it gets out of hand early.
1: But Dave, you know what's something you should not be getting out of hand at? What's that? It's whether whenever you're going out to these bars or when you go to a tailgate, folks, we know that the call football season is finally here. You're very excited to go out and celebrate with your friends. But we want to remind you here at Locked On, to basically be careful. Make sure you're actually knowing exactly what you're drinking, how much you're drinking, because, folks, it always happens to people. You're hanging out with some friends, putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many as the evening comes to an end and people start to head out. You think I'm calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home, okay? It's no big deal. That is not typically the case. What are the odds you get pulled over anyways? And even so, what's the worst that can happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You tow your car. Or even worse, you kill someone. Everyone knows about the risk of drunk driving drunk. The result is also tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence more often than not. That's why police police officers are out there right now looking for imp- impaired drivers each and every single day on our very own roads simply to save lives from a needless, needless decision. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again, play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride, whether it be a taxi, a rideshare service. It only takes one minute to basically change your life, but also it only takes one mistake to alter the course of your life forever and also for someone else's and they don't even have the ch- chance or the choice. So folks, please, 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 please drive sober or get pulled over.
0: Yeah, it's a good message with football right around the corner. Um, but we want to thank you here at Locked On Seminoles for making us your first listen each and every day. Um, we love you and we appreciate you being here and caring what we have to say. Now, Drake, Mike Norvell does not have the luxury of looking past DeCain. But do you know Duke who Kessny, does? Dukesne,
1: Duquesne. Duke you know no, who I'm does have now. that luxury? We do.
0: We do. We, we, we sure do. Um, so I want to go two directions with that. There's two things post decane that are worth talking about, I think, today. Um, one is some news that dropped, I think it was a few days ago, regarding our second opponent, LSU. They have a couple guys that are suspended. Uh, Ray Darius Jones... Uh, A reserve DB will be out for the season Mm -hmm. and far, far, far more importantly for LSU and us, John Emery, their running back, who I think a lot of people expected to be the starter and who has the world of potential, uh, is going to miss the game against FSU unless he magically wins the appeal in that time. Drake, what do you, how does, how does the news of a star former five-star running back top 13 composite nationally? Um, who I think was expected for this to be his breakout year. How does that make you feel about our
1: chances going into that game? I mean, the thing is, though, with John Emery, I mean, I think he's had about a little north of 100 carries for about 500-something total yards. So he basically earned an average of of around five yards per carry. So, I mean, he is a really good running back. But the thing is, though, people forget that – I mean, I was super high on him out of high school. Noah Kane, the former Penn State running back, actually did transfer in. Mm -hmm. Now – this is where we kind of get to the fact that similarly they both have sky high potential, but Noah Kane, I don't think actually has the, um, the statistics that we all thought would be been going over to uh, Penn state and James Franklin has had a reputation for having very star studded running backs, whether it be miles Sanders now with the Philadelphia Eagles or Saquon Barkley now right now with the giants. So to me, the loss of John Emery, I am. I, it's interesting. That basically now to see that is, we're going to have to not deal with, it's going to help us out because we're not, we don't have the game plan for both Emory and Kane. Yeah. But to me, the loss of Radarius Jones is actually a little more important primarily because the rotational depth at the cornerback spot, that's basically where his bread and butter was. That's why you saw FSU and coach Mike Norvell looking for more DB buys at Jarvis the left. Cause you want to keep your defensive backs fresh. And now that you have, his departure, Derek Stingley, well, remember, remember left to the NFL too. Yep. LSU might be a little more thinner at the defensive back spot, which honestly, they might, it might not be such a, such a, um, a detriment to them because of how good their defensive line is. So they might not have to rely on them as much. But to me, I think the rotation, losing rotational pieces in depth is actually a little, probably a little more hurt, hurtful to them. Yeah, I'm going to have to wildly disagree with that. Um, <laughs> all right. So look,
0: John Emery, like you said, um, his production hasn't necessarily been there it, throughout his career. Uh, we, I think, being a, a, a upperclassman now. However, um, again, back in the day, that that kid was the number two rating running back in the country. Uh, people expected. I mean, if you just go on 247 right now and look what it says about his uh, prospect, it, it describes him as a significant impact player at a major program with first-round NFL trades, comparing him to Darius Geis. That's, that's lofty for a kid in high school. And clearly he has not lived up to that though. The potential always been there. We know plenty about that here at FSU. Um, but if you look at PFF, man, uh, when he has played his running grades have been there. Um, and he is a much different style to prepare for than a Noah Kane. John Emery goes five eleven 11 two twenty, but I, I, I think he's friggin' fast. Um, Noah Kane 5'11, 11 And there is a difference to me. At Penn State, where he transferred from. Last year, Noah Cain averaged 3.2 yards per attempt on 101 attempts. That's not good. And more important than that, every year of his career, his run grade has gone down. He has not gotten better in college since, he, since his freshman campaign, which was his best year. He has not improved. Um, so the prospect of having only to prepare for Noah Cain. And who has not proven the ability to be a breakout runner against the defense? We expect to be stout against the run, puts the offensive needs squarely on the shoulders of Jaden Daniels, who I absolutely do not trust to be able to shoulder that load. I last thing I'll say is when I when we learned that Jaden Daniels was likely going to be the starter because Miles Brennan retired. Um, they're
1: still in camp, they're still in a competition, though. The
0: Nuss bus is still there. I, I hear you, but When that became the foregone conclusion, my sentiment became, this is now a should-win game. Not a must-win, it's a should-win game with him as the starting quarterback, I believe. Now not having to worry about the guy that I expected to at least create some running game for them such that Jaden Daniels isn't having to do it both on the ground and through the air to the extent he even can. um, This, I think it's too much to ask for him. This is even more of a should-win
1: game to me now. I mean... I mean, since we've done that episode, I've kind of peeled back on that. To me, we do have a better chance to win this game, and I'm still going to pick us to win this game because if it's a little bit earlier. But should one, I mean, I can see where I can pick up what we're throwing down, but I'm not going to make that jump just of yeah, I'm, I'm probably honestly going to make that jump Friday when I'm super hyped up and basically don't care about any statistics or any sort of evidence backing the other side. But yep. to me, obviously, the loss of John Emery is a huge hit. That's yep. not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, I personally believe that the loss of this rotational depth at the cornerback spot for LSU is going to be a lot, especially because they don't get a tune up game before us. Yeah. We get Duquesne. And honestly, hopefully, we're not playing, you know, deep into the third or fourth quarter, basically worried about loss of Duquesne, which I highly doubt that's going to happen. We're actually being able to get some game reps, play with some combinations. Whereas LSU, which I understand that Brian Kelly, great coach. He's already beaten Mike Norvell twice. He's already put up numbers on an out-of-four defense twice. But to me, still, you're acclimating Jaden Daniels, a brand-new quarterback who his freshman year was amazing. Well, like I said before, he had Eno Benjamin and Brandon Ayuk. Both of them are in the NFL now. He struggled the past two seasons, and Mike Denbrook, which I'm a huge fan of the hire because I actually like Desmond Renner a lot, you know, as Dave, you know, is a big Cincinnati hater. But to me, it's going to be a game where I, don't think, I think the loss of John Emery kind of put is in our favor, but I definitely think that the the, uh, the loss of the defensive piece, especially being a rotational piece, is going to be a lot more impactful than John Emery being out. Well,
0: there, there's a lot of new things obviously going on at LSU. Um, the one thing that excites me about having to deal only with Noah Kane and not John Emery is that John Emery was averaging more than double uh, last season yards after contact. This is a defensive line for Florida State that should, again, be among the best in the country, particularly the interior. If, if, you, if you're getting hit by our defensive line and you're not great at uh, yards after contact, you're, you're not going to get anywhere. It's not going to be our there. line that you're getting yards after contact against. But you know what's the beauty of having to compare whether it's, which loss for LSU is more significant to us? Well, what's the beauty of it? The beauty of it is it's both true. Uh, they're both out. Uh, that is a help to us both on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball. Even if it wasn't a should win game for you before, we've had our own losses. Uh, Caden Lyles, he's out. He was going to be our starting center and that was going to be a big deal. Um, so to have LSU suffer some losses early too uh, definitely evens the tables a little bit. I think a lot of people were nervous once the linemen started going
1: down, but it's not just us. Injuries happen to everybody. It's going to be okay. It's part of the game, but I will say, you know, in my defense to basically saying that I kind of will go back to the part of uh, I think no Kane might be a better option. Uh, besides one game against Vanderbilt with John Emery, he averaged 8.6 yards of carry. It looks like he averaged actually a shade under four. So to me, maybe the Noah Kane thing might be something we actually, look, actually have to look a lot more out for when we talk to uh, Caroline Fenton. I locked on LSU sometime later next week. Okay. Um, I'm not worried about Noah Kane and
0: I don't think you need to be either. Okay, we're keeping it rolling here at Locked On Seminoles. Um, keeping with the theme of looking ahead, which, again, Mike Norvell can't do. Got to pay attention to Duquesne. Can't be looking ahead to LSU. and hanging game. out way
1: too much with me when it comes to the Mike Norvell slander. You know that, right? <laughs> right.
0: So we, are, we do get to look ahead. We have looked ahead now to LSU, and we have a much further look ahead now, which is to Miami. Now we're not going to preview the game. It's, it's, it's not even really news. This is more just, this is going to be event session. I think it's going to be good for you to hear everybody. Rad Mike Alford, who we love on this show, um, had an interview today where he was quoted as saying that he'll be rooting for Miami when they play Texas A&M. Now, Drake, I want your thoughts, but, and I'll elaborate on this, but that was just, created like a visceral just aggravation in me the idea of ever rooting for Miami whoever they're playing against Drake do you share Alfred's sentiment in rooting for Miami against (laughs) Texas A&M
1: okay listen um as I said before on this program I look at Miami personally as my little brother when it comes to basically all these foreign type of things and also whenever people ask me which school I hate more between Miami and Florida I, became, I quickly say Florida would probably the most most of it's up because I can't stand that school. That being said, I don't agree with that because basically, for one, I'm a hater. Uh, yeah. I don't like Miami at all, whatsoever. Or any, Orange in any color or any fashion is a very distasteful sort of basically ensemble. But to me, devil's advocate here because Dave, you know, we're both attorneys, so we have to look at both sides of the coin. For the ACC, it makes sense, and that's I know what Mike Alford was trying to defend what he's trying to say. And also, Mike Alford's been on kind of a winning streak basically for the past few months when it comes to basically FOF announcement, donations, boosters, stuff like that. And also, maybe he could be just saying it to kind of you know, let the ACC know that, hey, we're still going to be here while he's kind of doing some backdoor channeling and leaving the Big Ten. But to me, no, I wouldn't say that, but it's a rare L for our boy, Michael Alford. Yeah, I have so many
0: thoughts swirling in my head right now, Drake. Um, I don't know where to start, but I will say this. His reasoning behind that was... Like you said, that it's good for the ACC. It'll give more exposure to the ACC. Now, let me tell you why I don't care about that. (laughs) Okay? Because at the end of the day, we only care about the ACC doing well to the extent it benefits FSU, right? Like, if the ACC does well, but it doesn't help FSU, I don't care if the ACC does well. Now, when it's Miami we're talking about. Any Miami win, in my mind, not just because I hate them, is a direct loss to Florida State because we recruit against them directly. We have both been down from what, we, from what we've recently been and from what Miami was two generations ago. Um, but if we're going to be convincing kids to come to Florida State over Miami, obviously there's reasons. But among them needs to be, look what we're doing on the field and look what they're not doing on the field, or we're doing better than them. I don't care if they beat Texas A&M. The ACC is not going to catch up to the SEC. I don't even know how much longer we're going to be in this conference. Hopefully it's not very long, but I can tell you this much. As long as we are in this conference, rooting for Miami to win is rooting against Florida State in my mind because every Miami win in
1: a marquee game is going to help them recruit. Is it not? Am I wrong? I mean, you're not wrong. I'm just like, what did you expect them to say when it was asked the question? Also- He's a guy that basically has to actually answer the ACC. He can't just be like, hey, by the way, guys, Miami, which is basically (laughs) what we want him to say. But, like, you do know he can't actually say that. And he can't say everything that you just said. Well, you know what he could do—the coach speak
0: answers that we seem to get from everybody else on the staff here, mm-hmm. um, which is talking circles around directly answering a question. Which would look something like, "Well, you know, you know, Miami's—we're going to play them later this year. They seem to—they've hired a new coach, and you know, Texas A&M, obviously the Jimbo connection—that'll be a good game. As a fan, I can't wait to see it. That's what you say. You don't—that would actually pretty, be actually pretty
1: good. I ain't you you know don't why, say
0: you know? I will be rooting for Miami because no Seminole at heart should. Ever be able to to root for Miami? It will not help Florida State, whether or not it helps the ACC. I, Mike, we love you. You've been doing great. This one will slide. We do not root for Miami here.
1: <laughs>
0: Period.
1: What's really funny is that he actually, you know, when he prefaced what he was about to say, he's like, "I know I'm going to go. I hate for this. I just I don't think he knew that he was going to draw the ire of one David A. Wise Esquire of Locked On Seminoles." actually, which is actually pretty funny, but Mike has probably been the best AD we've had here in a very long time. Yeah, for sure. He's basically also someone that I personally have the belief that if Mike doesn't hit the seven one plateau, there's going to be a very, very intense and very realistic conversation about basically moving on to the next person, because you see his track record with the Bengals, with the Cowboys at Oklahoma and also with central Michigan, basically a he's been has improved when it comes to an administration standpoint and also moving forward. So to me, the man has done so much good that, hey, maybe we'd be like, hey, Mike, listen, you're new here. I get it. You're doing a great job. This is just the one little rare that you have. And basically, we don't root for Miami here. But hey, listen, you're a company guy. ACC is part of the company. I get what you're doing. Just don't do it again.
0: I self-identify as a non-member of the ACC. Um, so there's that. But also, it's just this is in somewhat in jest. Everything I said about Miami is not. But... As it relates to Alford, he's doing nothing but a great job here. Like you said, it, it, if anything, it's a rare L. Um, we should all be excited about the things he's doing. I think he's going to be decisive with the football program. Um, I just I just hope it becomes more obvious to him that there is no situation where we want Miami to win.
1: And this I mean, is, I think he kind of knew what, what he was doing, though. I mean, that's kind of like he riled you up pretty well, so I'm pretty sure he wanted to rile up the fan base, too. So, I mean, hey, listen. We got us talking about it on here. It might be on the timeline layer today or during the day tomorrow. But maybe maybe that was his plan. The man's playing some chess moves right now.
0: Yeah, and you know, I I hope all of you at home feel the same way I do. Just I I mean, really, I am I'm mad even talking about this, but
1: so you could tell the different t- demeanors right now. I, I know.
0: Tell <laughs> tell us in the comments. Tell us how you feel about Alfred's comment in the comments. Tell us how you feel about key stats for Duquesne. Tell us how you feel about our chances against LSU and Drake telling where they can find the podcast and uh YouTube, I guess.
1: Oh, now you're asking me that, folks. Please, if you can, don't forget five-star reviews, either on our podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast from for the free. And also, we are on YouTube, as you can see by my beautiful face and Dave's ugly-ass hat. You can basically like this video, hit the subscribe banner, the tippy-tippy top, and uh, ding the little bell so you know when new content drops each and every single day. And folks, that was a great segment right there. Dave texted me on the way home from work, and I'm like, he's like, I gotta talk about this. I'm like, okay, just get it off your chest, my guy, because it's game week is Duquesne. So you know what? Football is finally here. So that means that hate is finally back.
0: Hate is back. I'm upset about Miami. We don't play them for a long time, but I'm excited that you all decided to join us today. Thank you again for listening. This is Dave. That was Drake. We'll see you next time on Locked on Seminoles.
1: Take care, everybody. And Dave, you need to make sure they don't live in your head like that, max. Come on now. If they don't live in my head, I just hate them. That's fair. They suck.